goodness me. What the heck happened in phobia group today? Did I get dropped in a trust exercise or something with them? Wait a minute. Stone walls? Damp? Dripping rivulets of water? Iron prison gate? My feet are shackled? Oh no! I'm in a dungeon! My carcerophobia is off the charts! Help! Help me! Okay, this is too spooky for me to handle! I can't handle the spooky shit! Sprung open like an overstuffed coffin, and outpoured all the trash and filth and nasties that Lysandra had spent a week creating. So much trash for just one beautiful, doomed woman in her early twenties. The cavalcade of filth ceased, and, glowing mint green in the evening's darkness, a hamburger wrapper rose from that wretched can. Tears formed in Lysandra's eyes as the wrapper twisted and morphed until it origamied itself into the image of a cow. Oh god, Lysandra moaned in fright. Objects can have human ghosts, so I guess burger wrappers can have cow ghosts? The cow slowly spun to face her. Neon green flames erupted from its tiny paper eye sockets. It mooed, and the pile of trash rose up like a tsunami, crashing over Lysandra with the force of a mighty ocean wave. The trash tide receded into the can, leaving nothing behind. For what is a dead body, if not trash? And the origami cow ghost was gone. Was that a story? Yes, it was. It's called The Haunted Hamburger Wrapper. Did you find it scary? Oh, God. I have bibliophobia. All right, I'm hyperventilating now. Excellent. It's nice to see someone is finally sufficiently terrified by my looming presence. No, it's not you. Bibliophobia is the intense fear of reading or books in general. Uh, how many phobias do you have? I have arithmophobia, so I don't know. That's fear of... Fear of counting. Yes. Interesting. You need to let me out of here before I have a panic attack. Well, I've got bad news for you, you strange little man. You're not getting out of here until you read one of my evil stories. No! Oh, yes. You must read one of my sordid and evil tales, and if you do a good job, then I will free you. If you don't, well... I will feed you to my ghouls. Ghouls? Those aren't like zombies, are they? They are very similar. Oh, God. I can feel my necrophobia spiking. Excellent. <laughs> the only way to avoid your ghouly fate is to read my evil story. Do you agree? Uh, uh, I mean, public speaking is one of my biggest fears, but I guess my necrophobia is bigger, so... Okay... Excellent. Let me pull up my evil chair. This story examines the close bonds between family and proves true the old adage, blood is thicker than wine. Pino Merdoir. Carolina Rotoli was born into wine. Her family had owned Rotoli Vineyards in California's lush and ripe Napa Valley for four generations. 
Carolina remembered being a young girl growing up amongst the stumpy peanut war trees, the eggplant sheen of the grape skin coloring her vision. Carolina had gone to college to escape this, the life of a vineyard rancher. The skin on the palm of her hands had softened over. Her bare feet had reverted back to their normal beige tones, rather than tinged with grape stains. And she had found a boyfriend, Jesse. Jesse was a wine enthusiast himself, training to be a sommelier at one of San Bernardino's finest restaurants. Carolina knew her family would approve. He was the perfect match. Now, Carolina was summoned back to Rotoli Vineyards to meet with her parents and grandparents about overtaking operation of the vineyard. It was what every Rotoli child had done on their 23rd birthday, a number which to Carolina seemed wholly unimportant, but to her family was more important than any of the normal young adult milestones. Carolina thought it would be the perfect time to introduce Jesse to the family, and if she was lucky, maybe it would convince him to propose. She dreamt of marrying Jesse, dressed in flowing white among the grapes of her family's fields. Carolina and Jesse drove up to the farm-speckled freeway from San Bernardino to Napa Valley. Jesse was immediately taken with the valley's Italian reminiscent vineyards, mulberry-hued grapes, emerald greens, and hay-colored golds as they sped along the interstate. This is stunning, he said, turning to Carolina and smiling. He'd never been here before, and Carolina was thrilled to be the one to introduce him. But it explains you, he told her. Explains me, Carolina asked, confused. Only an environment this gorgeous could birth a Venus like you. Carolina smiled at him, touched. Jesse was full of these compliments, sweet like sugar on the tongue. She pulled her eyes away from the road for a split second and kissed him on the cheek. I can't wait for you to meet my family, she told him. And she meant it with all her heart. Carolina and Jesse sat down to dinner at the long oak table. Outside the dining room window, Carolina saw one of the groundskeepers determinedly digging a hole. Behind him were mounds of dirt, fresh, moist soil covering more recently dug holes. Carolina figured he must be digging up old trees to make room for the new crop. She pulled her gaze away from the window as her grandmother entered from the kitchen, carrying plates of Italian roast chicken, amber in color with crisp skin topped with sprigs of the sage's colored rosemary. Then, Carolina's grandfather poured into their glasses the most purple of liquids, that being wine. Both Carolina and Jesse, as well as the rest of the Rotolis, ate and drank well, filling gaps in conversation with more wine. Jesse was impressed. He had never tasted wine like this before, and he had tasted hundreds of wines. He was so excited he spilled wine down his shirt. Don't worry, Carolina's mother said. We'll get you something else to wear. She went to the armoire in the corner, which was filled with nearly new clothes, crisp and white, linen and cotton, filling every crevice of the wooden furniture. What is all that? Carolina asked. Lost and found, her mother said. She brought Jesse a new shirt to wear and exactly his size. He smiled kindly and changed into it. Dinner as a whole was magnificent. Carolina's grandmother could hardly stop smiling at Jesse. Carolina was satisfied. This was going exactly how she planned. At the close of dinner, though, Carolina's mother turned to her. I need you to lead the VIP tour tomorrow, she said. Carolina stopped in her tracks. She hated doing tours. It was a teenager's job, and she was no longer of that lower caste. But I want to show Jesse around tomorrow, she whined. What a better way to show him around than on a tour, her father piped in. Carolina looked at Jesse, whose spirits were high as the moon, as always. A tour sounds great, he said. Carolina's mother smiled and handed Jesse a VIP ticket, which he took with the gleeful wonder of a young Todd at Christmas time.
Caroline had never been a VIP tour guide before. This is the perk you get now that you're 23, her mother said, and this will show us if you're ready to manage the vineyard. Carolina didn't see how leading a simple tour would prove that she was ready to take over a vino empire, but there was no use in complaining. Carolina and Jesse set off that morning from the vineyard's welcome center. Carolina greeted the eight VIPs. Most of them were middle-aged, the only couples who could afford the exorbitant fees associated with such a tour. But then there was a 20-something couple, Anna and John, who looked as if they were in costume, wearing two expensive resort clothes from a mall store where only the bourgeoisie shop. Anna's visage boasted a crown of perfectly braided blonde hair, while John's wrist was adorned with a shiny Rolex watch that kept casting off light from the sun and blinding Carolina and the others. Anna claimed she was Italian, but Carolina had seen more Italian things come out of a Chef Boyardee can. Carolina kept her thoughts to herself as she grouped everyone together, with Jesse standing right behind her, the rock to calm her rushing waves of annoyance and impatience. The first stop was always an active grove where workers in large hats were picking the harvest. Buongiorno, Anna called to a man deftly picking the Tyrian-hued grapes. Carolina sneaked a glance back at Jesse, who smiled mischievously under his thick eyelashes. You're doing great, babe, Jesse said, squeezing Carolina's hand. It gave her the confidence to continue her spiel. This is where Rotoli Vineyard's greatest asset, our pickers, work their magic. You can tell the grapes are ready to be harvested when they reach this color, Carolina said, pointing to the dark, sheer skin spheres. Then they will use a grape hook knife to expedite the picking process. Carolina smiled stiffly as she stood with a bunch of mulberry-tinted Pinot Noir grapes, holding still for what she knew would be a photo op. Instead of photographing her, though, Anna and John were taking pucker-faced selfies in front of their rows of grapes. And we'll continue, Carolina said after a moment, grouping the tourists back together. But when she counted, she only counted six, plus herself and Jesse. Anna and John were nowhere to be found. Has anyone seen the others? She asked the group, confused. Maybe they went to the restroom, Jesse suggested. Maybe they ran off for a little tryst among the grapes, a man unhelpfully threw in. Anna? John? Carolina called, walking into the rows of grapes, but she couldn't see them anywhere, and there was no sign they had ever been there at all. Marco, did you see a couple wander off your way? Carolina asked the grape harvester, but he just shook his head. Carolina looked around a bit more, but all she saw was a gelatinous trail of grape juice, where someone had clearly smashed some of their harvest. Grape. Not only did they wander off, they put a tiny dent in the vineyard's profits for the year. The vineyard Carolina herself might be taking over. Carolina shrugged. She couldn't find the couple, but hopefully they weren't causing any trouble. Carolina went back to the group. Our time is still ticking, so I think we should continue on, she told them. If anyone sees Anna and John, please stop me. Hopefully they'll rejoin us after the bathroom. Right this way, she said, putting up her hand and beckoning down the trail in front of them, leading the visitors between the coppices of woody vines. As the tour group vanished from sight, though, there was a dragging sound. Marco glimpsed it from the corner of his eye. A head of golden hair was lying unmoving in the dirt beneath a grapevine, being pulled, disappearing from sight. And beside it, a Rolex tainted with the most crimson liquid that could only be blood or wine. Carolina's tour group had been walking for nearly 30 minutes, and she stopped at a quaint group of hay bales to let the VIPs rest their feet. They sat atop the yellow dried grass rectangles while Carolina enlisted Jesse to help her bring out samples of the house Pinot Noir. Carolina went into the small shack where the wine was kept and grabbed a bottle. Do you think that couple is okay? 
Jesse asked her, always the concerned one. I don't know why they wouldn't be, Carolina said. This is a pretty safe place. They're probably off somewhere making a TikTok. Jesse seemed content with this answer. He grabbed six tiny glasses from the counter as Carolina popped the cork. Jesse, ever the sommelier, wanted to smell the wine. He took the bottle and inhaled deeply. Smells fresh, he said, impressed. Was this just made? Possibly, Carolina said. They've been really busy with production lately. Between you and me, these fresh bottles are always better than the aged ones. Maybe soon I'll find out the secret why that is. As they handed out the glasses and the tourists quaffed up the wine, Carolina noticed her grandmother standing off in the distance, watching them with a smile. Carolina waved. Her grandmother slowly lifted a soft hand and waved back. That smile still plastered on her wine-red lips. It wasn't until the third couple never came back from the bathroom that Carolina realized something might be up. She turned around to find herself and Jesse leading a group of two people through the wine aging cellar. Where did everybody go? She asked, confused. Why can't anyone find their way back to us? Jesse tried to work out the math. Well, the young couple vanished, that's for sure. Then the other couple, with the red-haired lady, she twisted her ankle and he went with her to the medical building. Right, Carolina said, taking them off on her fingers. And this one, well, they said they were going to the bathroom. The vineyard isn't that big, Carolina puzzled. I've never had this happen on any of my other tours. Maybe VIPs are different, Jesse suggested. Carolina locked eyes with a sole remaining couple. They were in their 50s and wealthy, new early retirees, connoisseurs of crisp white wine and rosé who had come to Rotoli Vineyard simply out of curiosity and their goal to visit every vineyard in the continental United States. At the beginning of the tour, they were skeptical, but when they tried the first bottle of Rotoli Pinot, they were pleasantly surprised. Now they looked 10 years older and terrified. We're going to go, the man said. Go where? Carolina asked. She couldn't afford to lose another couple. Go. Leave. His wife filled her in. Something weird is happening. I don't know what it is, but I don't want to. Carolina opened her mouth to protest, but Jesse tenderly grabbed her hand. If they want to go, let them, babe, he said. Carolina nodded. This is why we don't drink red wine, the man said as they turned to leave. Carolina and Jesse watched a couple darken the silhouettes as they worked their way out of the cellar and then they were gone. Carolina plopped down on the wooden barrel and put her head in her hands. How did I manage to lose every single tourist, she agonized. My family will never let me take over the vineyard now, Jesse sat next to her. I think you're great, babe, he said. But if they don't, you can just come back to San Bernardino with me, and someday we'll run our own restaurant. Me as the sommelier, and you as, well, maybe another sommelier. She smiled at him. He was the only person who could make her feel better. She leaned in for a kiss, but was interrupted by a pss. Carolina looked around, but they were alone. She thought she was just hearing things, but then it came again, sharper, louder. Carolina looked up to find her grandmother smiling at them from the doorway. She had wine stains on her shirt from a long day's work. There's my grandma, Carolina said, hoisting herself to her feet. Gotta go break the bad news. Jessie took her hand, and they walked to the doorway together. Grandma, Carolina began, I lost all the VIPs. You didn't lose them, dear, Carolina's grandmother said. You passed the test. The test? Carolina asked, confused. Do you know where they are? I do, she said. Come with me. Carolina's step perked up as she and Jessie followed her grandmother across the fields dotted with grapes until they reached the secluded place where the grape presses stood. Carolina's grandfather and parents were there, and the buckets were already filled to the brim with satiny wine. Carolina's family stood sentinel over the buckets like they were performing a ritual. Darling, you're back, 
Carolina's mother greeted her. How was your tour? Terrible, Carolina said. Everyone left, or mysteriously vanished. I don't really know. Now, now, Carolina's mother said, patting her on the hand. Worry no more. We'll show you what happened to them. Jesse looked around. He couldn't see any buildings or cars out here, so he couldn't imagine the tourists were nearby. But then he saw a pile of familiar-looking clothes lying by one of the wine tubs. Carolina's mother grabbed a golden goblet from the grass beside her. Jesse clocked that, too, as being incredibly odd. A goblet in the middle of a field. He looked at Carolina to see that her chocolate-hued eyebrows were furrowed as well. She was just as confused as he was. They were always on the same page. Carolina's mother picked up a ladle and scooped a quantity of syrupy garnet liquid from the barrel. She dripped it in the chalice and the four elder Ratolis watched until the last drop left the spoon. What is this? Carolina asked. Why am I trying wine when everyone has vanished and why are you all being so weird? This is our livelihood, Carolina's mother said, pressing the goblet into her hands. Carolina expected the metal to be cold, but it was warmed by the liquid inside it. You're of age now, Carolina, her mother said, and it's time you try our raw product. Oh, wow, Carolina said. She'd never tried the wine straight from the press before. She always had to wait until it was treated and bottled and aged a bit. This felt like a real rite of passage. Maybe they would consider giving her the vineyard after all. But she didn't want Jesse to miss out. Can Jesse try some too? No, her father said. This is Rotoli only. Carolina shot Jesse a sorrowful look. He shrugged. She took a sip of the wine and immediately spit it back into the goblet. It was salty and metallic, like iron after a rain, and it instantly triggered her gag reflex. Her family stared at her, waiting. Um, I'm sorry, she said. This is more gamey than I was expecting. She didn't know what to do. She didn't want to drink more of the wine. But she also didn't want to offend her family when so much of her future was on the line. She looked around as she tried to compose her thoughts. She saw the mounds she'd seen from the dining room the night before, holes now all filled in. She saw the great vines in the background, now shadows in the setting sun. More clothes for the lost and found sitting in the grass. And in the wine press, between the top and the basin, a leg. A leg? She did a double take. There was nothing else it could be. It was a human leg, tan flesh covered in flecks of hair, calf muscles limp, and a leather mule shoe still on. For the first time, Carolina saw her aunt in the distance, standing in a vat of grapes. But instead of the melodic sloshing of grapes, she heard bones shattering and flesh tearing. This wasn't grape juice. This was blood. Carolina was horrified as she began putting everything together. The secret ingredient is people? She asked, gagging as she forced the words from her lips. Blood, Carolina's grandmother said, fishing more liquid from the basin. Carolina felt her stomach drop to her ankles. Her heart ceased beating for several moments before it came back in like a hammer, bashing and pushing against her chest cavity. She chanced to look at Jesse, and his skin was as pale and shocked as she imagined hers to be. Then... Carolina did the only thing she could possibly think to do. She laughed. But it was cut short by hyperventilation when she realized her family was deadly serious. But why? How? You can't be killing people to make wine? 
and giving the world human blood to drink? Carolina tried to make sense of it. Her family were vampires, and she had... She dropped the goblet to the ground, horrified. It stained the basil grass curry. It goes through a treatment process before it gets bottled, her father said nonchalantly. Back in the 40s, her grandmother started. When I first married your grandfather, we almost lost this place. A drought made it nearly impossible to grow grapes, and we lost nearly half our crop. I was worried we'd lose the empire your father's parents had built for us. We needed to cut the wine with something to make it. And as it turns out, blood is more addictive than alcohol. Carolina couldn't believe what she was hearing. She glanced at Jesse, who was still frozen stiff beside her. He wasn't running away. He wasn't leaving her as the massive family secret was revealed. Some secrets, she thought, should stay hidden. She should call the police. She should turn her family in and prevent them from killing any more people. But this was her family, the only one she had. This was her future. Now that you know the family secret, her mother said, you're ready to take over the business. We need young blood. Carolina couldn't think of how to respond. She loved her parents and grandparents, and she planned her entire life to take over the vineyard. This was the only career she ever thought she'd have. You don't have to do this, babe, Jesse whispered to her, reading her thoughts as always. Carolina looked at him, the love of her life. Then she looked to her parents and her grandparents. She loved them more than anyone else. It was either do this, step into the destiny provided her at birth, or disown all of them. And she didn't think she could do that. I have to, she told Jesse, her heart falling a little further into the soil at her feet. You can leave if you want to. That won't be necessary, her father said. Carolina looked at him, confused. He picked up the great poke knife from the ground. It was already tainted scarlet with blood. There's one more thing you have to do to claim your place in this family business. He held the grape hook knife out to her and looked from it to Jesse. A million things went through Carolina's head at that moment. How to choose between her family and her boyfriend. Between murder and love. She couldn't make this decision in a split second. Couldn't take it lightly. Her mother ladled her another glass of the family wine. Drink this, darling, she said, shoving it into Carolina's hand. It'll help. Carolina, no, Jesse begged. You heard them, she said. We need young blood. She saw his dazzling blue eyes over the top of the glass as she took her first real drink. The second sip wasn't as rough as the first, not when she knew what to expect. And with every sip, it got easier, went down lighter, until it began to taste almost sweet. She thought maybe her grandmother was right. Maybe blood was more addictive than alcohol. She felt numb. She felt serene. She finished the challenge. She took the hook from her father. She heard Jesse's screams as she plunged the grapefruit knife into the soft of his neck. It was a warm California fall day. Bertoli Vineyards had been having their best year of sales yet under Carolina's leadership. This was the first day she'd be leading a tour again after spending most of the harvest season back at the wine presses. While she used to despise giving tours, this new, older version of Carolina enjoyed doing all she could for the family business, and she was anxious to be back with the product, the very thing that made Rotoli wine what it was. 
Welcome to Rotoli Vineyards, Carolina said with a smile as a caravan of VIPs got out of their shiny black BMWs. Today, you'll be starting the tour of a lifetime. Well, what did you think of my evil story? I, I mean, I'll be honest, it was pretty spooky, but the more I, yes. I, I read it, I liked it. Good. Did you like the themes of, you know, family and wine being like the same thing and blood? Yeah, the way that family was like wine really opened my mind up to new things. I thought, wait a minute, didn't you say you had bibliophobia? You know, it's the strangest thing. Like, a couple pages into the story, it felt like I didn't have any phobias. Wait a minute. Here. Ghoul! Come here! Does this ghoul frighten you? Well, that's a ghoul? Yes. Because that shit ain't scary. Oh my god. I think we've really had a moment here, haven't we? I... I... Look, I was... Uh, I was scared when I woke up in this dungeon, but I, I kind of think, like, this is the best therapy I've ever had. To think Lord Serpent's stories have cured someone of all their phobias! <laughs> you might be the greatest writer of all time. Yes, maybe! Well, you know what? We've had such a moment in this dungeon that no longer frightens you that I'm letting you go. There's the door. Go on outside. Uh... Do I have to? Well, I mean, I guess you can stay in Lord Serpent's dungeon if you want. Yeah, give me more stories. I like this not having Phobias thing. Well, all right. Um, ghouls drag him away, I suppose. Oh, what's up, ghouls? Ah, oh, oh, oh. Okay, guys, I said you're not scary. You know. Well, wasn't that wonderful? A man cured of his phobias. What's next? Maybe I'll turn water into wine or something. <laughs> This episode was performed by Jared Labadesk and Lord Serpent. The episode was edited by Stacy Milborn and Lord Serpent. Pinot Murdois was written by Stacy Milborn and Lord Serpent. It was produced by Stacy Milborn, Charles Brock, and Lord Serpent. Michael Morgan and Stacy Milborn were the audio engineers. The music was composed by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. Tune in next week for more of my horrific tales of madness and terror! Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Lord Serpent's Library. And check out my homepage at rss.com slash podcasts slash Lord Serpent's Library. <laughs>